way. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, still on this series of genuine Christianity. We've looked at a, a lot of things, sin, struggling with sin. Uh, <clears throat> part of that is suffering. It's not a popular topic, I realize that. Um, but it is necessary. And Peter deals with that after having said a lot of things about the church. Now, I don't know if you've been watching it or following it. Right now, Russia has been trying to go into Kiev and take the capital city. As of an hour ago, and I follow this quite closely, as of an hour ago, Russia, Putin put his nuclear team on high alert. So, but at the same time, he is now wanting discussions. And I, I think when you look at the map, you look up here, Russia has 830,000 troops. They have 3,000 combat tanks. They have 1,900 warplanes. Russia has already lost over 3,500 soldiers trying to take the Ukraine. And what they didn't realize was that the Ukrainians were not going to lay down. And so they've been pushing back. Putin realizes the optics of this. Matter of fact, even as of uh, yesterday, Germany reversed course. They are now sending uh, millions of dollars of weapons uh, to the Ukraine. And what I feel like is my personal take, some pastors and I talked about it this week um, on Friday. I feel like Putin realizes that this is not a good venture for him because you get, it's like one general said, one general that I actually trust. He said, it's easy to take a capital. It's harder to hold that capital when you have uh, insurgent forces coming back on you. So Putin realizes his military was not as functional as he thought it would be. That doesn't mean that there's not heavy casualties and any loss of life is too many. But when we talk about suffering, and <clears throat> this is what we're going to deal with today, this is what's happening in the Ukraine. You have a humanitarian crisis going on. So, and I've heard uh, a young mother interviewed. Uh, she was on her, her phone. She was interviewing with one of the uh, talk, talk show hosts that I was watching. And she said, we... We, we can get food, but we're, we're going to be hungry for a while, and that's okay. And she had her five-month-old baby with her, and a uh, very tough situation. When we talk about suffering, we have never experienced this kind of suffering. And we've been very blessed here in America to be able to come to church. We see a good crowd this morning. We're able to come to church. We're able to worship him. There are times in our lives when we will suffer for Christ, but nothing on this scale. So we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we pick up the narrative in verse 12. Peter is writing to a, to a congregation in Asia Minor. He is telling them that, you know, do the work of ministry, even in the midst of suffering, love one another, build each other up, those types of things. 
and then launches into uh, chapter 4, verse 12. What we're going to learn, first of all, is to be prepared to suffer. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you. Poroses is the word for fiery trials. The root word of that means to burn. But literally, it means to suffer pain. The, the Christian life is one of suffering. And I have said this before, and I'll continue to say it. We do not suffer on the scale that other brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing. But at some point in your Christian life, your faith will be challenged. Guaranteed. Your faith will be challenged, whether it's at work, whether it's in a social setting, at some point your faith is going to be challenged. And you have the great opportunity to be able to share your faith with those around you. I like what uh, David Wall said in his commentary. The original readers would hear this as martyrdom by being burned at the stake. It could describe the fact that the followers of Jesus in the city of Rome, where Peter wrote this letter, were being dragged from their families dipped in tar, and used as living torches for Nero. So these are fiery trials, may go along with the fact that they are burning. And throughout the history of the church, there have been people who have been uh, martyred, they've been badly treated, uh, they've been killed, all in the name of Christ. And so we need to re be reminded when I was first saved, I thought things were going to get better. And in fact, it did. The day that I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and that army chaplain led me to saving faith, um, I immediately felt the burden of my sin lifted, that that was forgiven. I had an eternal home with God in heaven. Uh, my sins were forgiven. I was walking now with Christ and there was this infancy of yes how quickly that dissipated when I went back to my unit and started sharing that <laughs> it, I, I thought things were going to get better and in one sense they did in fact the day that you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that day is going to get a lot better at the end of this road but for now we have to walk this this difficult path and there were a lot of times as a young believer, that I made mistakes. I said things that I probably shouldn't have. I acted in ways that I shouldn't have. Uh, it's part of the process. It's part of the growing process. But we must never forget. I want you to realize this today as Peter writes this. I want you to never forget that this world is not our home. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And this world does not like us. And some of, uh, you know, <clears throat> I didn't bring my cell phone because you're supposed to have all your cell phones turned off anyway. <laughs> um, social settings. You may suffer hardship through social settings. A lot of the kids here are on, I don't know, they're on all kinds of different social scenes and maybe you are on, on social scenes, and you mention the name of Jesus. 
and watch what happens. There's going to be kickback. There's going to be blowback. Somebody, uh, it's been months now, somebody told me <clears throat> on one of the social platforms to crawl back in the hole from which I came from. <laughs> and you're going to have some type of pushback, some type of suffering. Sometimes that suffering will be financial. Not trying to be nitpicky here, but watching a show the other night where one of the lead characters claims to be a Christian. And I was thinking to myself, how can she say that knowing that she's a Christian? Can't you tell the producer I'm not going to say that? Well, if you don't say it, you might possibly find yourself off the series. And it can be a work. It can be work-related, where you have an opportunity to share your faith, and you get pushback from your boss. The suffering may be physical. I've heard of Christians who have been beat up because they mention the name of Christ. So the issue here is, do not be surprised when these fiery trials come upon you. Don't be surprised by it. It shouldn't, whoa, wait a minute. I can't believe you're, you're calling me out for being a believer. Yeah, that's going to happen. And sometimes they will accept what you're saying. And sometimes they will not. Jesus... <clears throat> This is the Sermon on the Mount. That's the Church of the Beatitudes behind it. Jesus said this, Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount is actually a rather lengthy sermon that goes two chapters. It took me 14 minutes to preach in four months, or 14 minutes to read in about four months to actually preach it. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the first major uh, discourse from Jesus, right up front, that you're going to experience suffering. Mark it down, log it in. And I know many of you already know this. You've gone through, this types, through these types of suffering. Now, Peter goes on to write, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trials when they come upon you, which they will. And look at what Peter writes in verse 12 the latter part, to test you. To test you as though something strange were happening to you. So he, he, he basically says, don't be surprised when, as something strange is happening to you. But we miss these little words, permasros, permasros, to examine, to put to test. So here is a moment when we talk about the test, we are talking about something that can rearrange our view towards suffering. Changes our view and our understanding towards suffering. Uh, earlier in the book, 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, multifaceted trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter's talking about there is a, is a goldsmith. They would put gold into this pot and it would, it, they would bring it to a point of boiling in which the dross would be raised to the top and they would then scoop that dross, those infirmities, would drop, would, would move them to the side, get them out, so that what was left was pure gold. And that's exactly what trials are. They are to get the dross out of our lives and so that we can look more and more like Christ. And sometimes we have to learn painful things through those trials. So when we're in a trial, when we're getting uh, pushback, when, when suffering comes our way, we get that perspective that, wait a minute, God is purifying my faith. I get it. It's, very diff it's, it's easier for me to say that than it is for us to do that. Because I don't know of anybody, their initial knee-jerk reaction, yes, yes, I'm getting hammered for my faith. This is so much fun. So, in trials, in trials, God is refining our faith and defining our faith. So we get this moment when those trials come upon us, they are painful and they hurt. We, I, I'm not saying you, you're not going to feel that. That would be unrealistic. And believe me, I've been through quite a few of them. And they hurt. And they're tough. But if we can get back to a place where we go, wait a minute, this trial is coming. God has allowed this trial to come into my life. And I have to ask the question, not, oh, this is so painful, but okay, Lord, what are you trying to do in my life to make me more like your son? Wouldn't you agree with me that the whole purpose of the Christian life is to become more and more like Jesus? And so it's so easy, and I, I understand this, it's so easy to get bogged down and focused on the trial. You lose sleep. You, you, you struggle with it rather than stepping back from it and saying, okay, Lord, I can't do anything about this. And by the way, when God has finished what he wants to do in that trial, it will be over. And ultimately, I think part of it, this is just my thought here, part of it is to get to a place in your life where you go, you know what, I got to trust God. That could be one of the big reasons of a, of a trial is, okay, how is, my, how is my faith going to stand this difficult situation? So, yeah, it's not easy. We have a, we have a response, verse 13. But rejoice. Really, Pastor Mike? <laughs> rejoice. But rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Hiero, and by the way, I love, the, I love the Greek language, to enjoy a state of happiness and well-being. One way you can see how your faith is going 
is by your response to the faith, to the trial when you're in it. I don't know how we do it. I don't know how you get there, but at some point we have to get to the place where we go, I am not going to let this trial rob me of my joy. Don't you know there's a guy called Satan who wants to rob you of your joy, rob you of your sleep, rob you of thinking about God, rob you of praising him. So you get this moment, and yes, initially, oh, I don't want to do this. This hurts. I, again, I get that. But we get to that point where we go, you know what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you know me. Thank you that you saved me. Find something to praise God about. And if you look around this room today, you can praise God for your families. You can praise God for your friends. You can praise God for everything that he's done in your life so that you don't focus solely on that trial. Paul says, but rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Wait, is Peter telling me something here? I think he might be. Christ did not have an easy life. Christ was beaten, spit on, crown of thorns, nailed to a cross. Honestly, when you read this, share in Christ's sufferings. D. Edmund Hebert, really good quote here. The sufferings had brought them into closer fellowship with Christ's suffering, the suffering that Christ the Messiah himself endured on earth. As his representatives to the world, the readers were experiencing the same type of hatred. Here's the wonderful thing about it. You could even put this as an apologetic for your faith, that when you suffer, you are following Jesus suffering. Now you can suffer wrongly for doing wrong, and that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm, but I'm talking about uh, you do everything that Christ has told you to do, and you wind up suffering. Guess what? You are walking with the Savior hand in hand, and you are identifying and getting closer to him. But rejoice inasmuch as you share in Christ's sufferings. It's true. I mean, when you suffer as a believer, you are experiencing in some dimension the suffering of Christ. I've met Christians who have lost their jobs because they couldn't do something immoral. It's a tough thing. Very tough. I don't think you should ever compromise your convictions. particularly if they're anchored in Scripture. And if you stand for that, God will take care of you no matter what. This little boy tying his tie, just like Dad, 
That's a, that's a cute kid. Our goal as a Christian life is to look like our Father. And part of looking like our Father is enduring hardship. You say, well, uh, Pastor Mike, where do I go find hardship? <laughs> Don't worry, it will find you. <laughs> Particularly as you live your Christian life. That you may rejoice, we're in verse 13, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What does Peter mean? Peter here is talking about as we live our Christian life, suffering comes in, God is working on us. Otherwise, there is no purpose for trials. I've met a lot of people who, when they come out of a trial, have said, if I hadn't gone through that trial, I wouldn't be who I am today. That's true. And so you have people, as you're walking through this trial, when Christ is revealed, there's two ways to take this, actually one way, and this is a reference to the second coming of Christ. When we see him, or when we pass from this life, and we shed this body, and we go to be in the presence of God, we will see him in all of his glory, and we can praise him forever and ever and ever. It helps us. I think it helps us to know that when we suffer, God is in the midst of that suffering. And he has a plan. He has a purpose. And by the way, Satan cannot put on you anything that God does not allow. And when God is done with that trial, you will come out of it stronger than when you went in it. And by the way, life is in three dispensations, at least as I see it. You're either heading into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of a trial. Praise God. I like that last one, Pastor Mike. Tell me more and more and more about that one. We all like it. But that's really what it, what it is. Sometimes you're coming out and maybe God gives you a season. Praise him. But also praise him in the dark hours. Paul and Silas praising God. Wow. I want to get to that place, right? That's, I want to get to that place. But rejoice in so much as you share in the sufferings of Christ that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. There is a day coming when you will see Christ face to face. Amen. Sermon over. Let's go. No. Now, last week, last week, if you remember, let me go back here and, and, and pick it up. In order, this is verse 11, follow with me. Um, and this was talking about preaching, serving, those types of things. In order that in everything God may be glorified, through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory 
and the honor and praise. Well, guess what Peter does here again? Be prepared to suffer, but in the suffering, glorify God. It's the same perspective. You serve in the church, you do these things. You do these things not to bring glory to yourself, but to bring glory to God. And then he says, while you're suffering, the purpose of this suffering, which you will endure at some point, is to glorify God. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Onesidizo, onedizo. And that means to speak disparagingly of a person in a manner which is not justified. It is an insult. It is to insult. <laughs> Have you ever been insulted because you're a believer? There is no hell. There is no heaven. I've heard that. And I get kind of a buy on this as a pastor. As soon as they find out I'm a pastor, I get a little buy on it, but not always. Some people see what I do every Sunday, which is the only day I work. as ludicrous and some people will see what you do and your faith as ludicrous and and they will tell you about it they will they may call you all kinds of names which I got to keep this PG but they may they may attack you verbally I remember one man telling me to shut up in a very unfriendly term I stopped. It, it can become difficult when you're insulted. I, I really feel bad, and this is something we really do need to pray about, uh, for our kids. Being in school is difficult. I was a seventh grader once. I can tell you it's difficult. <laughs> And sometimes the Christian kids have the hardest time because of the social aspect or dimension of it. Kids can be brutal. So be sure this week to pray for our kids, our, our saved Christian kids, because the environment in which they are trying to learn at school and the environment in which they are living now is more complex and brutal than when I was a kid. Truthfully. Now there's social platforms that can be socially ostracized because of their faith. Pray. I, I was burdened by our kids this week. Pray for them. We have our, our kids here today. Pray for them. It's a tough world out there. But they are the next generation of believers who are becoming coming behind us and we need to lift them up in our prayers and it does hurt when you are a kid to be ostracized and I know as you get older you get more mature and you understand sticks and stones may break my bones but words can never hurt me but it's difficult as a kid 
So please, that was a burden. And uh, this little girl's being taunted by two other girls. Uh, boys do it too. It's not, a, it's not a political statement that I'm making uh, on both sides of the aisles. And maybe boys are even just, well, they are just as bad as girls. Um, I had two girls. They were horrible. <laughs> Thanks, Dad, right? Yeah, no. Yeah, seriously, pray, pray, pray for our kids. It's a, it's a really tough world out there. Um, name calling and being called names is not fun. But you are blessed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Write that down. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. Makarios, Makarios. And that means happy and joyful. This is how we look at the situation. Just when mean kids say mean things about you or mean adults say mean things about you, just go, yes, inwardly. Don't respond to it. Usually if you respond to it, it's never good. Because the more you respond to it, the more they're going to kick back. So you just thank you. And walk away smiling. One pastor said, show teeth. Smile. The ultimate reason is because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Thomas Schreiner writes this in his commentary. Believers who suffer are blessed because they are now enjoying God's favor. Tasting even now the wonder and glory that is to come and experiencing the promise of the Holy Spirit. He gives a warning here, and I've kind of already given that warning. Let's look at this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or as a meddler. That's the, okay, so if you're suffering because you're a thief and you stole something, guess what? That doesn't count. If you're a meddler, that doesn't count. If you kill somebody either by words or physically, that doesn't count. It has to be a right way of suffering in which you will get credit for it. When Peter wrote this, this may shock you. Some of you biblical scholars out there already know this. Two-thirds of the population were slaves at the time Peter wrote this. Now, when we talk about slaves, we think of someone who is uneducated. That is not true. Some of them were doctors. Some of them were lawyers. They, they were educated. So it wasn't like they were all un educated and they were just serving there were they some of them were very educated and they were put in different positions but two-thirds of the people that Peter wrote to were slaves some form of slaves so you had one-third who was the upper echelon of society who made the rules for society and you had to obey it and Peter knew this 
that in the midst of the fiery trials, which you go back and read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, for those who are elect suffering throughout Asia Minor, the real knee-jerk reaction would be, I'm going to steal from my master. And some slaves may say, I am going to kill my master. So Peter says, but let none of you suffer. Because if you kill somebody, the law will find you out. Very few cases here in America ever go unsolved. There's too much DNA technology. They will find you out. The temptation was for the slave to lash out against the master. And Paul says you don't do that. Or Peter says you don't do that. So there is a right way to suffer, and there is a wrong way to suffer. David Walls makes a very good point here. He thinks the biggest issue is the meddler. And that word means one who busies himself in the affairs of others in an unwarranted manner. So mother-in-laws, please leave us alone. David Walls wrote this. The fourth term may be the real concern. This refers to Christians who stick their noses into situations where they have no business. Words like agitator, disruptor, troublemaker give the proper sense of the term meddler. By interfering in the lives of others, a meddler disrupts the peace and harmony of the local church and the community. Don't suffer like that. In my first church, which had two, two families, two brothers, trying to get those guys together was rough. Never did. And that's because they meddled in the church, and the church was divided. Don't suffer for that kind of stuff. Dr. Windsor once told me in, in class, and I'll never forget it, I, I, I wrote it down because I got beat up in class. I was complaining about something. I was a second year Bible theology student. I knew everything. And I was complaining about something. <laughs> Dr. Windsor looked at me and he said, Michael, that's their life. Worry about yours. You know how your face gets red? I was like, okay. That didn't go so well. <laughs> I learned a lesson from that. I still remember it. A lot of things I remember from Bible college. I just remember how arrogant all of us were. Yeah. Here's my advice to you. That's their life. Worry about your own. That's pretty good. That's pretty good advice. 
And that stuck with me, well, ever since 92. I don't know how long ago that was. 30, 40 years, 30 years, something like that, 30. Yeah, if you're going to suffer, do it the right way. <laughs> don't do it the wrong way, please. Do it the right way. <laughs> well, I don't want to do it any way at all, Pastor. I get it. I understand. Yeah. Lastly, our desire. Look at what Peter writes. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Christianos. Christianos. You know, when I read that, I go, wait a minute. Christian? That's strange. And I did a word study on it. And it means one who is identified as a believer in and a follower of Christ. Kind of like the word disciple. Do you know that's only used three times in Scripture? Christian. That's, that's what, you know, I, when I'm studying, I go through, and I know what a lot of these words, de, de kinos, and all that stuff. I mean, I can, I can quickly identify that. But when I got to Christian, I go, whoa, wait a minute. That's only used three times. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, Acts eleven twenty six. And Acts 26, 28, that is it. And I'm, I think he's saying that because it's not used often. He's reminding them. He's reminding them that you believe in and follow Christ. Usually one of the great pauses of sermon study is when you see a word that is not used often. And I think he's reminding them, wait a minute, remember, you follow Christ. You believe in him and you follow in him. And the ultimate purpose, the ultimate purpose is to glorify God with your life and with mine. Isn't that right? I mean, if, if you had to say one thing about Christian faith, it would be, I want my life to glorify him. And sometimes that's hard to do, I realize. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1.16 They actually have t-shirts out. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Go out this week when suffering comes your way, realize that nothing strange is happening to you. Maybe at that point, take a different view of suffering, that there is a purpose in this or God would not allow it. That's a fact. And that to know that God sees you in the midst of your struggle and your hardship and trial. He sees you. He knows it. He is there with you. Even if you don't feel him, I am telling you as your pastor this morning, he is with you in the midst of the storm and the trial. He is. Write it down. If you have to write it in your Bible, it doesn't make the Bible uninspired anymore because you wrote something in it. But you write it in there and you go, Pastor Mike said, God
God is with me in the midst of this storm, and I am going to believe it, not because Pastor Mike said it, because God says, I am doing something in your life. Write it down. And know that this trial, whatever it is, physical, emotional, spiritual, it is for a purpose. Otherwise, we can all go to the house and not come back next Sunday, which you're not going to do because you're going to come back next Sunday. <laughs> to know that whatever storm you are going through, whatever it is in your life, he sees it, he knows it, and he's with you. Please write that down. Leave here today feeling good that no matter what comes against you, I know my Savior lives. And I can rejoice. Yes, sir. Yes, 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 ma'am. Very good. And find joy. If it, even if you have to just say, God, thank you for all the wonderful things that you've done in my life. Lord, you know my situation, but I am going to praise you in the midnight hour. I'm going to praise you. Go out this week and do that. Let me encourage you to do that. Things will get difficult. And things may be difficult right now. Maybe you needed this sermon today more than anything. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to bring it to you. One big thing, and I'm going to quit. Because yikes, I'm at 40 minutes. Know that when you're in the storm, the one who is with you can calm the storm. And you are never, ever alone. 